This podcast is brought to you by N by Neutralite, exclusively from Amway. This novel new brand is an experiential wellness line created to empower your mind and enrich your body to help you be more you because you are unstoppable. And N products will help you meet your goals every day because with N by Neutralite, you got this. Follow us on Instagram at Neutralite US. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolkin, joined by Paul Meyerberg. Later in the show, we've got Liberty coach Hugh Freeze talking about his team's 8-0 start. Paul, we are through week 10 of the college football season. Week 10 was not the most exciting of weeks. It happened. It was there. We watched it. It was... um, you know, it was it was okay. You know, it was okay, but uh, not a whole lot happened. Like he, he, the matchups weren't that good. We had games lost to COVID, and then even the games we had kind of generally weren't that dramatic. So it is what it is. You got to deal with it sometimes. Right. Um, week eleven, so boring. We wish we could count week ten twice. No question about it. Not a lot going on. Notre Dame beat Boston College as expected. Didn't really sweat. Michigan still sucks. USC barely survived against Arizona. Northwestern's unbeaten. Indiana is unbeaten. Penn State is winless. You know, expect down, down is up. Right. It's 2020. I mean, who has, who knows what's happening here? Um, not, yeah. I mean, just it's the imitation crab meat football weekend. It, it, it was a football like product, but there, there's not a lot of drama. It'll heat up this Saturday. I don't like imitation crab meat. That stuff's nasty. Yeah, it's gross. That's what I mean. Like you can, it'll pass. Like if I was in a, in a plane crash in the Sahara, which is one of my great fears that, and uh, that and drowning, I would eat imitation crab meat to survive. Wouldn't be my choice. Obviously just says it wouldn't be my choice to watch a college football weekend where Alabama, Ohio state, Texas, A&M, Georgia, and Auburn, basically the entire sec was uh, unable to play due to COVID. Most of the SEC, yeah. Well, let's start there with the coaches poll. And I said week 10 earlier. I meant week 11. Sometimes it happens. Alabama, number one, unchanged. They were supposed to play LSU. They didn't play LSU. We don't know if they're going to be able to play LSU in the future. We'll, we'll see. Number two, Notre Dame had a game at Boston College that felt a little bit trappy to me. Felt like, hey, Notre Dame coming off the win over Clemson. Maybe they'll have a little bit of a letdown. Boston College is is a competent, fun, hard-playing team. And I got to give Notre Dame full credit. They they went in there and rolled 45-31. And another really good performance by Ian Book, 283 passing yards, very accurate, 20-27 through for three touchdowns. He is coming alive at the right time. I think that's a good sign for Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think they were rightfully stoked. Some questions about when you look at Notre Dame compared to, I mean, Clemson or compared to Ohio State or Florida you wonder, hey, I mean, can they even match up at QB? Because Ian Book is a really good college quarterback, or he has been a really good college QB. But, you know, understandably, you didn't have the track record to, to match him up with the with the best in the country. The way he's played the last two weeks, I think he's answered a lot of those deaths. And you described Boston College perfectly. They are competent. 
They're very well coached. They play extremely hard. Uh, there's a talent gap there that Notre Dame was able to exploit. But once again, Jeff Halfley, who we've had on the podcast before, uh, he's really impressing me with the way that his team is prepared. So Notre Dame, um, no hangover, ready to roll, coming off of Clemson, off that high. And uh, that's a really good sign for Notre Dame and, and another solid performance by the Eagles. Yeah, and the opportunities for Notre Dame to stub their toe are, are getting few and far between. Uh, they still have to go to North Carolina. They've got a bye week before that. So that'll be on a, a Friday after Thanksgiving. They'll play at uh, Chapel Hill. But, you know, honestly, the way those two teams have played this year, I don't expect that one to be all that close. I, I think Notre Dame's just way better. Uh, they, they've got Syracuse. Syracuse is awful. And then they finish up at Wake, another team that I just don't think can, can really stop them offensively. So uh, I think it's looking pretty good for Notre Dame to be 11-0. Real good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, the, Notre, the North Carolina game is going to be interesting. And what it's not a gimme. From, no, definitely not. And what we've seen from UNC is, again, against Wake, they're down 21, and all of a sudden they're up 14. I mean, they can flip a switch and in like 18 minutes of game time just turn into a powerhouse. Um, the issue with Notre Dame is, if nothing else, Notre Dame is super consistent. Um, they are not going to make the sort of mistakes that would allow a North Carolina to take advantage of that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think Notre Dame is – they're going to give up points to UNC, and I even think they'll give up a little bit to Wake, but they're looking at 11-0 and meeting Clemson again in December, and that's a hell of an achievement. I, I, I don't think we talked about Notre Dame in August and September as a legitimate national champion, and and that's a that's a – major step forward for Brian Kelly. We've talked about this recently. Number three, Ohio state. They did not play COVID at Maryland. Unfortunate for Ohio state. They will just have to live without that game uh, for Clemson. They're off. And then a uh, real close race between A&M and Florida for the five spot. A&M did not play again. COVID Florida had a game against Arkansas in which, uh, their offense just continues to amaze. Um, they, you know, you look at kind of all these years, Dan Mullen, he was at Mississippi state. He was making do with uh, some, you know, relative to the rest of the sec did not have the best players. And, and we knew that he could coach. We knew that his system worked. We knew that he was going to get the best out of his guys. But when you see, him operate with a full deck of talent. It, it's been impressive on the offensive side of the football. I, there are still questions about Florida's defense. I mean, they gave up 35 points to Arkansas, but 63, 35 Kyle Trask, six touchdown passes. You know, I just think the more you look at Florida and I wrote this very early in the season and I still feel very strongly about it now, even though they have a loss, they, they kind of have LSU 2019 vibes. They could give Alabama a real problem. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, if if LSU hadn't done what they had what they did last season, I think we'd be talking a lot more about this offense. But I mean, it's just because it seems a little more um, like we've seen it before. Not to diminish what Florida is achieving. Um, yeah, I had two thoughts during the game last night, just because um, you know they were the one team that was playing of those legitimate contenders outside of Notre Dame. First one was like what you mentioned. Um, Dan Mullen is now playing with with a top twenty recruiting talent sort of program sort of roster and you're seeing the results. So expected there and, and quite, you know, just dynamic dominant, even on offense. 
I was thinking throughout the game last night, and I've had this thought a few times during the season, even back to last year. Dan Mullen spent, uh, let me think, nine seasons at Mississippi State in Starkville. I'm just trying to think, like, how many programs could have had him in that period of time? Like, it wasn't like he oh, was goodness. sitting down waiting for Florida. Like, I mean, Florida was was there and he took it. But, I mean, if you're even a team up north where he's from in Big Ten country where you could have had a shot at him. I mean, are Michigan? you kicking yourself right now? <laughs> yeah. And others um, who could have had Dan Mullen any time from 2012 through 15 or 16. And you missed on him. I think that's that's got to be painful to think about. Well, Mullen had a reputation for being arrogant, maybe tough to work with, thought a lot of himself, didn't give off a great impression in interviews, wasn't humble, blah, 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 blah. And and I think people who maybe didn't know him, weren't familiar with him, took that as, as a sign that uh, he wasn't worth the, the trouble. But obviously, Scott Strickland worked with him at Mississippi State. Strickland goes to Florida. Strickland ends up hiring him at Florida. It's not like, you know, if he was that big of a problem, Strickland wouldn't have done it uh, for a second time. But Mullen knows how to coach. I mean, he's taken the heel turn this year. He's said some crazy stuff that I don't agree with necessarily. Uh, but, you know, he's uh, he's an elite coach. There, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I'm not sure that their defense is getting better at the rate it needs to, but uh, they they have a chance. And I think that's that's all you can ask at this point. Set number seven, Cincinnati. They got a win Friday night over East Carolina, 55-17, a game that was only notable because Cincinnati ran a fake punt in the fourth quarter. They were up big, and Mike Houston, the East Carolina coach, didn't like it. They had a talk after the game. Luke Fickle said it was called on the field by the players. I think that's kind of a non-controversy, really. Yeah. Number eight. Uh, my suggestion would be don't be, don't be losing by 32 yeah. points in the fourth quarter. That's always what I think. I would agree with that. Number eight, BYU. Number nine, Miami. Miami was down to Virginia Tech midway through the third quarter by a couple scores, and it looked like Virginia Tech was on the verge of putting that thing away. But uh, Miami was able to come back and win it 25-24. Virginia Tech's offense imploded in the fourth quarter. Miami sort of gives off – vibes of of being not as good as their record which is now seven and one uh, but you know you look at what they've got the rest of the way georgia tech my uh, wake forest north carolina at home I mean, you're talking about a team that's that's probably either going 10 and one or nine and two in which case they're probably going to get a orange bowl bid or something like that and uh that's pretty solid work given that uh, midway through his first season I, there were a lot of miami fans who were ready to run manny diaz out of town yeah, I mean, they lost to FIU last year, so that's quite a turnaround. They did um, lose to FIU. You know, like different coaches, different players. It's been a couple years. Um, I, I want to see consistency, and, and not like you know from week to week, but in a in a bigger picture, year to year. I, I'm not like going to totally buy into Manny Diaz is the, is the solution. We saw Rick had a big breakthrough, and then you know he was he had, you know. Re- retired 12 months later. Um, uh, you wrote about Virginia tech to, to get you just to, to break down what your thoughts are about the program. I want to share a stat from our friend, David Hale at ESPN. He tweeted this about an hour ago. Okay. So Justin Fuente, 15 and five in his first 20 games at VT. They're 17 and 19 since they've lost to ODU. They lost to Duke on a famous Thursday night by 35. They lost to Liberty. Frank Beamer's last 36 games. He was 19 and 17. 
What does that tell you about the direction of the program under Fuente, who started fast? And I think uh, there's a degree of apathy right now around that program. Yeah. So we grew up at a time when Beamer had Virginia Tech at its absolute peak, and they made a national championship game, Michael Vick, all that stuff. The reality of it is I think Virginia Tech's a pretty difficult job. Look at where it's located. You know, you're in Blacksburg, Virginia. It's tucked away in the mountains. It's this super small town, you know, Appalachian town. You're not that close to any thing. You're a few hours from Charlotte. Uh, to get to Blacksburg, if you are a top prospect from any of the major metropolitan areas that Virginia Tech needs to recruit from, you're driving past a lot of other Power Five schools. You know, if you're even like if you're in the Hampton Roads area that uh, where most of the good players in the state are, you're you're basically driving past Charlottesville to get to Blacksburg. So mm -hmm. what what Frank Beamer was able to do is is a bit of an anomaly, I think, and will be looked back at as that for a long time to come. Having said that, Fuente, when he was at Memphis was able to build that program by identifying under-recruited guys and developing players uh, beyond what their recruiting rankings said they should be. Paxton Lynch, for example, who was the quarterback that he rode to a bunch of big wins and then to the Virginia Tech job, he was like a one-star recruit who had no offers really. So – that's been Fuente's philosophy. I don't think he loves recruiting. I don't think he likes a lot of the BS that goes with the top prospects. And it shows. They have not had a top 25 recruiting class at Virginia Tech since he's been there. And that is a problem. You do have to recruit talented players if you're going to win at the Power 5 level, if you're going to win ACC titles. Uh, you can win some games, but you're not going to, for the long haul, consistently – beat the best teams in the league unless you're getting studs, unless you're getting five-star players every now and then, and they're not doing it. And when you add that with the player exodus they had there after 2018, if you add that to, um, like you said, the losses to Old Dominion, to Liberty, it's, uh, it's not great. Now, the buyout that he's got, I think makes it somewhat prohibitive to, to fire him. But remember last year, he did flirt with Baylor when that job was open, that, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't know where this goes. And it may be that Virginia tech fans have too high expectations for the program, given just some of the limitations, but it is a school that cares about football. And this has not been a good last couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Fresh start could be uh it's never, it can't, it's not always a bad thing. Even if you don't leave at three and nine, you leave at eight and four or whatever. Sometimes it's okay to, to start fresh. Number nine uh, or number 10, Indiana, they had a pretty solid 24 nothing win over Michigan State. Georgia, number 11, they were not able to play because of COVID at Mizzou. Uh, number 12, Wisconsin was able to dominate Michigan in the primetime ABC game. Um, the final score is 49 to 11. Honestly, it, it, in some ways it felt worse than that. Michigan was 
was bad. They 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 just they looked like they they looked like a totally overmatched team that did not play hard, which has always been one of the defining characteristics of Harbaugh coach teams is is just you know just gutting it out, laying it all on the line, playing hard, having that sort of rah-rah spirit and and they just look flat everything about their organization looks flat limp uninspiring they're done they're, they're just done yeah wisconsin just barely squeaked by um it was i think i really think and i i should have looked this up i believe wisconsin was up 28 nothing before michigan had their first completion um i do know that they had a yard at the end of the first quarter it was 28 nothing at halftime um, from Wisconsin's perspective, that's pretty good. Two week break for COVID you've dominated two big 10 teams. You're still in the mix for a, a West division title, probably the best team in the big 10 outside of Ohio state, you know, headed for a new year's six ball. That, that's, that's pretty good for Wisconsin for Michigan and for Harbaugh. I mean, we don't know what his, like, we don't know what Harbaugh year six looks like anywhere because he's never had year six. You know, he had four years at the Niners and, and year four is when things kind of fell apart. He had four years at Stanford left on a high. So we don't know what it would look like if he had maintained it. Um, maybe at some point, you know, players just tune it out. Coaches tune it out. Assistants tune it out. And eventually the program tunes it out. So this is ugly situation for Michigan. We're going to like, I feel like we talk about it every single week, but um, this was uh, rock bottom to me to be dominated yeah. for the second year in a row. This, this is the one to me where, if after the season, if Jim Harbaugh walks into Ward Manuel's office and says, I need a contract extension or I'm going to walk, then I let him walk. I do too. Separated from the situation. I absolutely do at this point, based on what we've seen. I, I think you, uh, I think you reboot. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you're Ward Manuel, if you're able to do that. I don't know. Number 13, Oregon, they were able to beat Washington State by a couple touchdowns, 43-29. They're off to a solid start at 2-0. Number 14, Oklahoma State, they were off. Number 15, Marshall, another win for them. They're 7-0. Iowa State, number 16, they uh, are are headed toward a, a birth probably in the uh, big 12 championship game certainly looks more likely than it has at any point this season. Number 17, Oklahoma, they're getting ready for bedlam next week. Number 18, coastal Carolina, unable to play due to COVID. This gets us to number 19 USC is USC. The luckiest team in college football to this point, they have now scored touchdowns within the final minute, two straight weeks to, to win games. This time it was at Arizona I will tell you when they got the ball back and I think they had like a minute 40 something to go. I actually still felt like they had a really good chance to win. Uh, but they are, uh, they're living on the knife's edge in USC. Yeah. So uh, glass half full. I like the fact that uh, the team never panics in the last minute, you know, in the last three minutes, if you count Arizona state, they kind of keep their cool, stay composed. So that's a that's a testament to Keaton Slovis and and maybe to Clay Helton and the coaching staff. On the other hand, I don't know how you put USC number nineteen right now. Uh, I guess by default, I, I just don't know if you've seen from SC through two weeks the makings of a team that's going to finish in the top twenty. 
I think they're going to take advantage of the schedule and have a nice record. Maybe they'll be five and one <clears throat> and win the South, but they've got a lot to button up. I think their defense is slow. Um, I don't know if it's because they are not totally comfortable on what Todd Orlando's scheme looks like, or just because of lack of, of athleticism, but the defense looks slow. Um, offense is explosive in spurts, but I mean, obviously inconsistent. So I think there's a lot of work to do for SC. And, and if you ask me right now between Oregon and, and SC, your preseason contenders, who the best team in the Pac-12 is, even though Oregon's not perfect, I don't know if you agree. I think Oregon is, is probably the team to beat right now based on what SC has done in, against these Arizona teams. Yeah, based on what we've seen so far, and a lot of people pointed out that Keaton Slovis, the quarterback for USC, he was throwing a lot of ducks out there. And I don't know if he's injured uh, Clay Helton was asked about it and he said it was something about the wind, but mm-hmm. uh, other people I saw said there was really no wind at all in Tucson. So if he's just sort of trying to muddle through physically, then they're probably their luck will run out at some point, but it was very strange for him. Like you look at some of those replays of those balls he threw and he threw some good ones, but he also threw some terrible ones. So I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I, I don't think of Tucson as being particularly windy. Am oh, it can be. It can be. Yeah. Can okay. I've only been there twice, so I, maybe uh, maybe I just missed it. But look, I, he said after the game his arm was fine. I don't I don't think there's anything to it. Okay. Uh, number twenty, Northwestern, four and zero. They won at Purdue, twenty seven twenty. Very very good win for them. They continue to be an amazing bounce back story. Number twenty one, Auburn, twenty two, Liberty. We'll talk to Coach Freeze in a moment. Number 23, Texas, North Carolina, clocks in at number 24. They looked like they were in big trouble against Wake Forest, and then they stormed back to win, as, as you mentioned. 25, Louisiana Lafayette, they beat South Alabama 38-10. to 10. One team just outside the top 25 that deserves a little bit of a shout-out. They're in at number 26 this week. That is Tulsa. You talk to people in college football before the season about jobs that might come open. The consensus was that Philip Montgomery was basically done at Tulsa, that he was going to have to be fired. They were going to be bad. They've not really been that good under him. Well, they are, uh, they are storming back. They're 4-1 and one this year. They beat SMU. They, they came from behind in this game. Uh, they, um, you know, y- you look at them, and, and they've got wins over UCF, and they've got wins over – and a win over SMU – uh, they they didn't they were not able to play Cincinnati that game got postponed but their body of work is is very solid and uh, kudos to them for for putting this kind of season together. Yeah, I, I would like to know. Uh, Derek Gregg was the AD at the time, and I, and I has he gone to the NCAA? Yes, is he that, went to work for the NCAA. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I would like to know from Mr. Gregg what he if it was finances maybe, but I would like to know what gave him some what gave him confidence that they would turn it around in 2020. I would like to know what he saw within the program that made him think they could turn it around. Because like you said, I don't think anybody thought Tulsa was going to do this. I thought, you know, there had been no sign since maybe his second year of Montgomery that, that they had this in, in their, you know, tank. So two really good wins for them so far. And yeah, I think they, I don't know where they'd slot in or who they'd knock out necessarily, especially like, you know, they can't go over Louisiana because they beat Iowa state, but they uh, I'm, I'm glad to see they got top 25 consideration because I think they've earned it. And then one last game we need to talk about is uh, Nebraska beating Penn State 30-23. to 23. Uh, This is a game that uh, Nebraska at one point led 27-6, to 6, and it looked like they were going to embarrass Penn State. Penn State was able to get a little something going in the second half, but then 
two drives late in the game. They had deep in Nebraska territory to, t- to try to tie. The play calling was awful. Some of the worst I've seen. And they basically just stalled out, you know, twice. And uh, you look at it now, Penn State's 0-4. Never would have imagined that was possible. There is an outside chance they could go winless. Uh, they, they're going to be an underdog against Iowa next week. Who knows against Michigan on the 28th? Uh, they'll probably be a favorite over Rutgers, but you can guarantee Rutgers is going to play harder than them based on what we've seen so far. And then Michigan State. So there's probably a win or two in there for Penn State, but the idea that we could even talk about them going winless at this point is, is nuts. They, the players look like they've totally given up. The coaching's not good. I mean, good for Nebraska for, for getting a win, but my God, Penn State, what are you doing? You know, I, I watched that because, you know, you, you like to watch a car wreck. I thought Penn State played dramatically better than they did against Maryland. Um, and I thought they played with more energy than Maryland. Of course, this is all relative against Maryland. They really looked like they were they wanted to have a sandwich and go home. Um, but it's very Penn State 2020. You outgain Nebraska by 200 yards. Uh, you hold the football for, let me look, more than 36 minutes. You got 30 first downs and you lose by a touchdown. And like you said, that some of the decisions made in the red zone were mind boggling. I mean, we got to stop throwing the fade in the red zone, especially with your backup QB. That's, that's be better than that. Um, Penn State's still better than Michigan, by the way. I understand they're 0-4. I'd rather be Penn State 0-4 right now than Michigan 1-3. Interesting. Well, we'll see if they can. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'd want to be either of them. Um, no, uh, for sure. Um, but I'd rather be in Penn State's position right now. I think Penn State. I'm going to say right now they go three and one the rest of the way. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up our look back at this past Saturday. We will look ahead to next week later in the podcast. But for now. Let's link up with Liberty Coach Hugh Freeze. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Sometimes you just need a shot. Do it the right way and slay the day with N by Neutralite Slay the Day Focus Shot. Powered with ginseng, vitamins B6 and B12, plus our exclusive focus blend of yerba mate, alpha GPC, and CoQ10 to support your concentration when you need it most. Be the badass you were meant to be with N by Neutralite Slay the Day Focus Shots. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how focus and competitiveness relate from Focus Authority and Chief Formulator Dr. Jennifer Chang, Ph.D. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Really pleased to have joining this week's Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast is Liberty Coach Hugh Freeze. Liberty was number 22 in last week's poll. Uh, we're recording the interview before this week's poll, but they are almost certain to move up after a 58-14 win over Western Carolina to move to 8-0 and this season. Hugh, thanks for joining us. What has it meant to the program and just to you personally to get the kind of recognition that you guys are getting on the heels of this just tremendous start? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. You know, really it's a, uh, it's kind of that magical season that you, you really didn't dream about, man. When I looked at the, uh, schedule after having not gone through spring ball or, um, the COVID no summer workouts, no strength training, 
you know, it's, uh, it was, uh, and then you look at, you know, you got Western Kentucky to start off that has 26 returning seniors and won nine games last year. And obviously the two ACC opponents, it's just been a magical run. And, you know, I think it's been a lot for the school. Obviously we've, we've had some issues that we've had to go through throughout the summer. And, and I think it's brought uh, a very positive light and football can do that uh, for university sometimes. And, uh, we're excited to be a part of it for me personally, you know, to enjoy this, uh, this run that we're, that we're on this year with my wife and kids and the staff and the administration and, and obviously our players who, uh, you know, we've got a great group of kids. We're probably not the most talented group on the field most Saturdays, but, uh, uh, sometimes we're the best team and that's, uh, that's, you know, that makes it probably more rewarding. Uh, the fact that you're getting it done with, uh, you know, basically an FCS program, uh, just in year two of FBS. So it's been, uh, it's been a heck of a ride and just very, very thankful. You, you started with two close games and you look back at West Kentucky FIU, you might, from our perspective, might not have seen eight, no coming. Um, but you've really developed as a team and obviously improved. Can you point to a weekend or maybe even to a, a week of practice where you thought, okay, we're, we're getting better. I, like we could, we could make a run at this thing. Well, I'd probably say Syracuse. Um, you know, I mean, I knew we were, we were going to score some points. We, we do good stuff on offense. We we're tough to defend like many offenses are today. You know, they're just, you know, they're hard to stop. But if you have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback, you, you're sunk. You, you don't have a lot of chances in this, in this day and time, but um, you know, Malik has been um, uh, a guy that just has come in and just saturated himself with learning our offense, learning the game and, uh, and competing. And so I knew we could score some points. And uh, then when we did that against, uh, you know, Syracuse um, at their place and played pretty good defense, um, uh, you know, I thought, you know, we got a chance to win several more on our schedule. I wouldn't have chalked up Virginia Tech for sure as, as a win because you just, you know, I think they averaged the 32nd recruiting class in the country and we're like one, I don't know what the last one is, but we're, we're close. <laughs> we're close to the last one. And so you just don't, you don't expect to go in there and win. But I, I just, you know, I do think that one of my gifts is, is, is getting a group of kids to believe they can win or that they can compete at least, and then, you know, give yourself a chance to win in the fourth. And, and when they did that, obviously that was, uh, you know, biggest win in school history. And, um, you know, we, we've got a chance now to, we've still got two very, very difficult games left with NC State and Coastal and UMass in between those two. And um, we'll, we'll be challenged and, and tested, but nothing will diminish, you know, what our kids have accomplished to this point in my mind. So Malik comes over from Auburn. What was the backstory behind him transferring to you? And I believe you guys tried to get a waiver for him to play last year and that didn't work out. Was there maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise there that he was able to sit and watch everything from the sideline? You have, you know, I never would tell Malik this. Um, he'll probably hear it, but I think he'll be okay with it now. But when, when you're going through that, you know, obviously when he enters the transfer portal and, I know that uh, I believe in my heart that, that, that I could win with him here um, at Liberty. Um, you, you try to convince him to come. We got him on a visit. He t- 
talked ball with me all weekend. Uh, loved his visit. Coach Malzahn was awesome and encouraging him. Hey, man, if you're going to leave, you ought to check out, you know, going to play for Coach Freeze and his offense. And, um, you know, luckily we got him. Well, then the, you know, the appeal process uh, starts. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, Buckshot can throw it. And I know Buckshot can't run it and I can't do everything that I want to do with him. But sure would be nice to have Malik around for two more years after, after Buckshot. So I think you're dead on that. It was a blessing. I think it was a blessing for Malik too. It, it really uh, gave him another, cause we didn't have spring ball, but he did get some practices in during that time. So I, I think it's a blessing all, all the way around. So you, you, you signed an extension this past week through 2026. Um, instead of taking it in the direction of, of what your future holds, just, just walk us through what your thought process was in signing that extension and, yeah. and what that commitment means between you and Liberty. Well, their, their commitment was um, with this extension was uh, so incredible. I mean, the uh, it's just, you know, their, their commitment level to me, to our staff, to this program is, is, you know, phenomenal and, kind of blew me away with, uh, with, with the level to which they were committed to here. And, um, I I've said, you know, all along, I believe we can make this one of the top group of five schools in the country in a short amount of time. Um, didn't, didn't think you would, I don't know that we're there yet, but it, it certainly is, uh, on that track, it seems. And, and I believe we can do that. And, you know, I just, you know, you feel like when, when people are, are that good to you and they've been so gracious to me and my family, um, you know, you, you want to deliver back to them a, a product that, that says, you know what, our investment was good. And so I'm, uh, you know, that, that's just my thought process. And I've been very honest. I've been very honest with them. I've been very honest with my kids. I'm at a point in my life where, I, if if I'm not people can, or say and do and they'll talk about me however they want, but I know this one thing they won't be able to say is this guy's not transparent <laughs> ever. I mean I don't ever want that even doubted again. And so I tell everyone, you know, it would take a special opportunity for me to leave here, and uh, and I mean that, and uh, that doesn't mean that I that I never will leave, but uh, it will take something special. And thus far, the uh, the flirtations I've gotten with from, from other places or whatever, just, uh, they have not even felt right, um, to this point. And, and so I've been, I've told that to my kids, I've told that to the administration. And, um, so I just know I'm, I'm dealing with it in an upfront manner. What, what kind of future do you think, uh, you, you have there in terms of the talent level as an independent program, you're not in a conference right now, uh, a lot of the players who are performing for you right now are older players, DJ Stubbs, Joshua Mack, guys you inherited and that you've really developed. But you've also got some freshmen who have contributed as well. Do you, do you feel like, you know, if you're there another, you know, three, four, five years that, that you've brought in the type of talent that, that can raise the ceiling even higher than what it's been? Yeah, there's no question. I think in our one full recruiting class, if you look at the guys that are committed, that are that are um, contributing right now to our success, I mean, there there are a lot of young guys in the O line, D line in particular. I think we hit home runs on those D line recruits. Those guys, you know, three freshmen that are just they're balling this year. Um, so uh, defensive back, we we've got some holes to fill. We've got to we've got to address that in depth wise. Linebacker the same way. But we've got two great commitments at linebacker that I'm crazy about. 
think they're ballers. And then offensively, you know, those young receivers are going to be really, really good. But we're never going to have a problem getting receivers, I don't think, because we just have always been able to get those guys and, and develop them if needed. Um, running back-wise, we'll lose, you know, two seniors. Just, just depending on what they do, you know, with this extra year that, that the NCAA has given, who knows what, what these kids will decide. But we do need to address that. Now, the freshman we signed, Shadro Lewis, is, is a freakish quick – now, he's not big – but he's a handful when he gets in open field. Um, but we need to, you know, kind of shore up the running back room in next year's recruiting class for sure, too. But these young old linemen, I think, are going to be really good. We are playing some old ones right now in that spot. It'd be nice if a couple of them decide to, to return and, and give these young kids a little more time. But, uh, man, in the one year, I'm convinced we, we can recruit here. You mentioned the uh... – eligibility conundrum that you guys are facing, every program is facing. And that is that the NCAA is not going to count this year. Guys can come back and, and keep this season of eligibility. Um, with the lack of direction, really, that you've gotten, how are you recruiting in 2021 and, and, and mapping out your roster management when you're so unsure about what kind of numbers you're going to bring back? Yeah. i tell you what, you guys should do a, uh, you should do a whole 30-minute block with a coach and really go through – I mean, we can make up names so that we don't talk about names, but go through what exactly all of this means. It is um, like trying to plan for the most unknowns ever in my t- career. Um, when you talk about – and obviously for schools, is a financial implication also if, if next year – you know, some of those decide to come back. Are you going to allow that school to sign 25 and go over the 85, which budgetarily is going to stress people? Out? Obviously, we're already stressed a lot of places. And, and, and trying to manage, all right, do you sign 15? Do you sign the full 25? Knowing that the following year, the NCAA is saying you have to be back at 85. And – it is uh, so you're not just planning for one season. You're having to look at all right. How does the 2021 roster look? And now moving forward, if that's the case for the 2021 roster, and we signed 25 kids, what does the 22 roster look like? And how in the world are we getting back down to the 85? And so. Then you add into it the possibility of the one-time transfer being passed in January and trying to plan for who's going to be on your roster in the fall of 21 and 22 is, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know, man. And it's, um, it's beyond my mental capabilities. I'm doing my best and I look at it pretty much daily, but it's, uh, it's very difficult. Hugh, I want to and ask it's you. Put coaches, it's going to put coaches, Dan, in a, in a bad position with, with some families and kids. It's, 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 it's going to put us in some tough spots. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, the roster management, I think it's, it's going to be a nightmare for everyone. And frankly, that's probably why they should go ahead and just pass that one, that, that automatic transfer for next year so that if people need to create room, that there's some landing spots. Yeah, and there's, uh, you know, what happens with that one-time transfer? Here's no one can answer this question for me. All right, so they pass it in January when they're voting on it, but we've heard that it would go active in August. Right. So so does that mean a kid that transfers in the same calendar year in January can't play? 
and the kid that transfers in June can play or what does that mean? And that would really help us if we knew, all right, if you, if a kid transfers in January and they pass it, then he's, he's, it's, it's retroactive for the whole, if you transfer in that calendar year, yeah. we really need some clarity on that because that, that really, and you know, is this, is this, what if a kid has already done a one, one transfer, is he out or does he get one after this is passed? It's a good, it's so a good, I don't, yeah, it's a good we, question. We've got some questions. Hey, let me ask you about uh, another coach that I think uh, you're going to be in a little bit of competition with uh, this year for some national coach of the year votes. And that's uh, Tom Allen in Indiana. He, he worked for <laughs> you uh, at, yeah. at Ole Miss. Um, I mean, did you teach him everything, you know, what's the, <laughs> what's the secret behind what he's been able to do at, uh, at Indiana this year? Yeah. Well, he's just a heck of a man, number one, and a, and a heck of a coach. He's he's a relational coach. You know, I think he's just like me in his approach to the kids. He's a little more energetic on the practice field than I will ever be. I'm not I'm not going to do some of the things I've seen him do. <laughs> but he's, uh, you know, I think his approach is just the same, and that's why he was a good fit for me at Lambeth, Arkansas State, and Ole Miss. And I would have tried to hire him again if he hadn't gotten a head job, but uh, he's just a special, special guy, and you know he's got uh, he's got so many of the coaches that were with us at Arkansas State and Ole Miss there, and they saw. I think that Indiana job is just like the Ole Miss one. You're never going to have the same rosters, you know. So don't don't kid yourself, and and don't ma- it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you can't win. Um, now, will you win all the time against the Penn States, Ohio States, Michigans, and Wisconsin's? Probably not. And neither did we, but you can win your share. And those are very special. And I suspect he's, uh, he's building it the, the same exact way that we tried to and going by the same booklet that, that I use. Cause I know I gave it to him. It's <laughs> and, an actual booklet. Uh, uh, oh yeah. This, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a book of how to build a program and, you know, I just don't waver from it. And, uh, but Tom's his own guy and certainly, uh, you know, I knew he was special from the first time I met him and when he was coaching in Ben Davis High School. And uh, he certainly doesn't need uh, – he doesn't need me any longer. I just gave him his first chance, and uh, and he's doing it, man, and I'm so proud for him. So you literally wrote the book on how to build a program? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, no, no. no. I mean, okay. not the book. I wrote okay. a book for me <laughs> and what it should look like for me uh, based on my skill sets. And this work, you know, it turns programs pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, just I just don't vary from that. I'm, I'm not uh, – I know I have a lot of weaknesses too. And you better hire a bunch of people that, that feel your weaknesses uh, with their strengths. Uh, and, and I've learned that too. And uh, I certainly don't – I don't do a lot of things well. I'm not the uh, – I'm not the the most organized guy with some things, and I certainly don't want to have to micromanage defensive calls or special teams calls because I got my hands full of them in the offensive room so much that I've got to hire people like Tom Allen and not now Scott Simons or Dave Womack, and I need a great fundamental quarterback coach. I, I would, there's no chance I have the success I've had without Dan Werner and and uh, Ken Austin. You know, th- those guys are just the perfect fit for me because they they know how to coach quarterbacks fundamentals that's not my gift 
I'm a big picture guy and say, I want to run this and I want him to read it like this. Now you figure out all the footwork and, and how, how he does it. All right. Last thing, Hugh, we'll get you out on this. It's a uh, master Sunday. I know you're a big golf guy. So yeah. how many times have you played Augusta? What's your best score and what club do you yeah. play on number 12? Oh man, these are, these are fun questions. So I, I'm blessed. I'm embarrassed to tell you, I did. I played it 15 rounds there. Wow. Um, you know, when you're an SEC coach, you Get have somebody that'll, that'll take you, you know, yeah. I hadn't gotten yep. to go since I left and hadn't gotten to go since <laughs> I left SEC. So if anybody's out there that wants to take me, I'll, I'll be glad to go. Um, that, uh, played 15 rounds there. And, you know, we always used to go around the same time. So Nick would be there or Gus or Spurrier or Brian Kelly or urban or, and man, we would all, you know, all right, me and my member that, that took me, we'll play you guys, you know, and it was, it was just a lot of fun. And so I shot, uh, my best score there is 78. Wow. Um, you know, and, uh, I, I, I think I would do better now. I'm a better golfer now than I was in cause I play more. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I never used to play during the season anymore. Now I play every Thursday and Sunday. So <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy life and, uh, and coach, but, um, so no 12 12 is my favorite hole and uh depending on the win but it's it's either a pitching wedge or a nine iron it's one of those two i've hit both there depending on where the pin is and 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 how the wind's doing and and i'm sure you've been in the water at least once i have unfortunately of the 15 rounds and the round that i shot my best score there i was actually even par uh through 12 and uh Got greedy on 13, double bogey. Greedy on 15, double bogey. So that's the round I shot 78. Hey, you're not the first or the last to take that path. Uh, at yeah. so. Well, hey, man, uh, thanks for joining us on the Inside the Amway Coach Poll podcast. It's been a great conversation, and just congratulations on your success. Keep it going. Yeah, thank you guys so much. All right, thanks, you. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Thanks to Liberty Coach Hugh Freeze for joining us this week. They've got a big one next week at NC State. Maybe their toughest test of the season, but uh, it's a little bit of a bounce back for college football, Paul. This was not a great weekend of games. I think we've got some pretty good ones coming up this week. Again, uh, more than ever, we have to uh, kind of temper it by the expectation that some will get canceled due to COVID. Uh, that's just the way it is right now. Let's hope one of them is not Indiana at Ohio State because that is a game that uh, I think captures all of our imagination right now, given how well Indiana's played. Uh, certainly, Ohio State is a solid favorite in this game. They would be favored against anyone other than probably Alabama at this point. But I'm excited to see what Indiana's got for them. Yeah, I mean, it's a great moment for Indiana and a great highlight. We talked about Tom Allen with, with Hugh Freeze about what he's done at IU. But, uh, yeah, they're a little bit overmatched. But, again, like, I don't think that should take away the fact that they're having, uh, you know, their best season in about 33 years. But I'm not expecting them to beat Ohio State. I think a lot would have to go right for them to do that. But just the moment itself is, is a highlight of what IU's done. And take they, they filled a vacuum. Michigan has fallen apart. Penn State's fallen apart. And, and Indiana's kind of filled that spot. Well, and the other thing about Indiana is, so we saw them in that first game and they were very fortunate to to win against Penn State, but it just kind of shows you how seasons can take different paths 
based on just really small margins. Obviously, Penn State has gone the other way, but I would say Indiana has actually gotten better and better each week. And they shut out Michigan State last week. Uh, Tom Allen, I don't know exactly the words he used, but he basically acknowledged it was kind of a scratchy performance. It was not the prettiest win. But I, I think the fact that, that Indiana can look at themselves not playing their best ball against Michigan State and they still win comfortably, I do think they've gotten better. And I think if they can take it up another notch this week, maybe it is a game for a half or three quarters. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. And that's a statement in itself. I mean, like, you're Indiana, no disrespect. I mean, it's not the greatest history as a program. But you beat Michigan State, you shut them out, and you're like, eh, we played okay. I mean, that's a statement. Um, issues for Indiana, they, they obviously can't turn the ball over. I mean, they, they threw two picks against Michigan State, and, and they haven't run the ball well. And, you know, you're not going to be one-sided against Ohio State and win. And you're not going to be one-sided and keep pace with them on offense. You just can't. So those are two things that concern me. But, you know, they've got something to them. And you're right. They could make it a game for the better part of four quarters. Why not? But it's just not a great matchup. But, again, like you said, who's a good matchup with Ohio State? No. Alabama. Yeah. Maybe Clemson. That's it. All right. So matchup of unbeaten teams in the Big Ten – afternoon kickoff Wisconsin at Northwestern and obviously Wisconsin has had their COVID issues strong bounce back performance at Michigan but Northwestern's been maybe the surprise team of the whole college football season just given where they were last year now this is not an overpowering Northwestern team their three wins the last few weeks have all been pretty close Uh, but their defense is legitimate and, you know, I think when you look at them versus Wisconsin, it's, it's a grinded out type of game. And I think Northwestern's got a real shot here. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, Big Ten November game. It's going to be very comforting. It's going to be a, a cup of hot cocoa um, on a November Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, if Northwestern wins this game, they're, they're going to run the table because they get Michigan State, Minnesota, Illinois to end of the season. And then obviously a, a Big Ten championship game. But if they win, they're, they're going to meet Ohio State for a shot at the playoff, um, which is wild because they went four and eight last season. And I think they were one and eight in the Big Ten. I think they might have been two and seven. Um, yeah, this is going to be an ugly game. Northwestern's defense is just superb. Wisconsin, as we saw against Michigan, is did not miss a beat and, and they're still rolling. So it, it's, a, it's one of the biggest games of the season. I mean, quietly, I don't think we would have thought that in August or September, but this is a, a winner-take-all game in the West and potentially a playoff game. Another 3.30 kickoff, Cincinnati at UCF. And we've talked a lot about Cincinnati on this podcast. They continue to just beat down everybody in the American Athletic Conference as they try to make a case for the college football playoff to be that fourth team. And they've got a couple interesting games left. Uh, They end the season with Tulsa, who is much, much better than any of us thought uh, they would be. But we initially kind of, when the schedule came out, pointed to this weekend. We thought maybe Cincinnati would be undefeated and UCF would be undefeated. As it turns out, UCF has lost a couple games. But ever since that, that debacle against Memphis where they blew the big lead, they've kind of found their footing a little bit and, Look, it's still UCF. It's still an offense that is capable of scoring 35, 40 points on just about anybody. Cincinnati has taken those kind of teams apart. What do you think is going to happen uh, in this one, especially given it's at UCF? And and I know it's not the same home field advantage, but 
I, I do think UCF plays well at home. Dylan Gabriel plays well at home. It'll be interesting to see whether Cincinnati is, is up to this. Yeah, I mean, we're talking the best offense in the country against um, potentially the best defense, at least on a statistical basis, these two units. So um, a great matchup of styles. I don't know. I just like Cincinnati. I just like Cincinnati. I like the way they play. I mean, they're, they're faking punts up 32 points against like Wobegon, Eastern Carolina, Eastern, <laughs> East, East Carolina. I can't believe I said Eastern. Um, have you ever been to quarter. East Carolina, by the way? Um, I think I grow, I've driven past Greenville before, but I've never been on campus. Yeah. It's kind like, of a shame. It. It's, it's a shame that uh, they've really fallen off because uh, it, it's, it's a cool campus. It's like, you know, it kind of feels like a power five campus, a power five stadium. And yet, you know, they, and they used to be one of the better group of five teams and they've just totally fallen off. But uh they hired Mike Houston from James Madison. Yeah, they'll get their better. expectation. They'll get better, but it's 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 been rough. It's, it's been rough. rough. It's but, been rough. But look, that's what Cincinnati's been doing to teams. And if you look at Cincinnati against UCF, uh, UCF doesn't breed the same amount of confidence in me as as Cincinnati. I, mean, I think a lot of it has to do with Memphis and Tulsa. I think they blew those games, um, and that concerns me as in terms of the matchup on the sidelines. Um, I think Cincinnati has a goal and a purpose, and they're not going to be just you know pushed aside by UCF. I think they're the better team, but again, UCF, they're averaging 620 yards of offense per game. So they clearly could put up points on Cincinnati that, that no one else has done. We've got uh, a November Bedlam game that uh, is fairly interesting and important in terms of the big 12 standings. We have on this podcast officially endorsed the idea that Oklahoma is the best team in the big 12, despite the fact that they suffered those two, early losses, uh, they will have a chance to further state that case. Uh, they're playing at home. It's primetime ABC game. You know, I don't know what to make of this. If you look at, at Oklahoma, I still am not totally buying into them as at the level that they were a couple years ago. Um, I, I take nothing out of their, their win uh, last week against Kansas. Uh, they had this week off. Oklahoma State had this week off. What do you think? I mean, it's it, Oklahoma State's a pretty unimpressive team for being 5-1, and one, and yet I just can't shake the feeling that Oklahoma's a little bit fraudulent too. Yeah, I, I don't think Oklahoma State's doing – they're like 5-1 and one number, you know, whatever, top 15 in the country without really having achieved a whole lot. And and they're uneven in terms of their performance, inconsistent in terms of their, of their performance. So I'm, I'm not a big believer in them. Um, I know what you're saying about OU. I, I still think that, A, I think the bye week came at a good time. I think they're going to – I do think they're still going to run the table to end the season. Um, I do think they're going to look back and 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 really kick themselves. Oh, for they'll Kansas be sick. State in particular. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't – I think there's a lot put on a Spencer Rattler in particular. And I think he's an embodiment to a degree of what we expect from OU. You just think a kid's going to roll out of bed as a redshirt freshman with, with zero experience and just, Hey, Mayfield did it. Murray did it. Hertz did it. Here comes Spencer Rattler. And I think that's an unfair kind of expectation to put on the kid. Well, it's unfair and, and, for a lot of reasons, including the fact he, he doesn't have the same running backs that those guys had. And he doesn't have the same offensive line that those guys had. Their, their offensive yeah. line's not as good this year. No, for sure. And he does not have, and, and look, this is no disrespect. The receiver core is de definitely not terrible, but he does not have the CD lamb, doesn't have the Hollywood Brown, doesn't have that guy who can tear the roof off. 
So uh, they're not playing with a full deck. And this isn't like, oh, Lincoln Riley's not accumulating talent or like this is the beginning of the end for OU. I just think it's that odd kind of things hitting simultaneously that you couldn't have necessarily predicted with guys leaving early. And, and it just worked out. Your skill talent's not up to par or at least up to the standard set the last few years. Like you said, I still think OU's the best team in the Big 12, but is that a statement about the Big 12? Yeah, probably. Um, but I would love to see Iowa State and, and Oklahoma meet again because I do think those are those are your two best teams even though Texas has played relatively well recently. So, you know, the winner here, you would think just mathematically, you know, it's them and Iowa State to decide the Big 12 in December. So what do you think, uh, Liberty NC State? We talked with Hugh about it. I think he recognizes they've got a couple pretty tough games left. Uh, it's not like NC State is, you know, some great team. I mean, they they – they're one of those that they typically win the games they should win, lose the games they should lose. But I don't know what that means in terms of comparing them to Liberty. I, I tend to think that, that Liberty, just with the confidence that uh, they've built, will, will find a way here. But uh, I certainly understand the possibility NC State may just have more talent. Yeah, like, like you said, I mean, most teams have more talent than Liberty. Um, that was a very blunt statement, but it was true. I mean, Liberty is not the most talented team in the country, but the offense works. NC state is like you said, better than probably better than Virginia tech. I think they're probably the best team they're going to face this season. You can pick Liberty. They have confidence, momentum. I, I do think that this winning streak is going to end at some point. If I had to pick what game they're going to lose the rest of the way, I, I would pick this over coastal, even though coastal is unbeaten. I think this is probably the game they would lose if they're going to lose one of these last one of those two big games. Yeah, look, Coastal Carolina is a really nice story, but uh, th they haven't been like dominating people for for the most part. Um, no. So, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, a game that we would normally talk about, but I, I don't really know what there is to say. It's Clemson Florida State week. The only thing I'm interested in in this game is how much Dabo talks up Florida state in the weekly <laughs> press conference. Like he, he will make them sound like vintage Bobby Bowden, Florida state. Yeah. Can you imagine what he's been saying about Florida state for the last, you know, eight days since Notre Dame, like what he has been saying to his team about trying to get ready for Florida state. We got a big one coming up. It's the Seminoles. We got Look 12 at the days to yeah. yeah. This is one of the best teams in the country. NFL talent all over the place. We got to be ready for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a pick the score game. It's a pick the score game. And Clemson can pick the score, whatever they want to score in Florida state um, within the constraints of 60 minutes of time. That's what the final score is going to be. Florida state's not good. They're not progressing or getting better. Their, their best players are no longer on offense or defense at this point. So um, it's amazing. Like when was the last time trying to think um, Probably 2014, I think that game was in Tallahassee. We covered that game. Uh, Jameis Winston pulled a rabbit out of his hat. They beat Clemson. Since that point, um, I don't think it's been close. So, do I have well, the no. years right? I oh, it, well, it wasn't Jameis Winston. If you remember, he was suspended for that game. Uh, Sean McGuire, right? Sean McGuire played that game. Yeah, and Clemson, right. Clemson basically should have won. And they kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times uh, late. And – I was at that game. I, I covered it. And you're walking out of the stadium at that point thinking, man, when is Clemson ever going to beat Florida state? Like if they can't beat them in this setup, when they had control of that game, 
and just mm-hmm. couldn't, they just couldn't punch it in when they needed to, you know? And you're just like, man, Florida state's just got these guys as number Clemson's never beaten them. And then lo and behold, you know, six years later, it's like two different levels of program. Yeah. I mean, the last two years combined margin of, uh, a victory for Clemson is uh, let's think 49. Oh, it's uh, it's 80 points. The last two years, the last three years you go, it's up to 97 points and even 100 over the last four, because that's a field goal in 2016. I mean, we like college football. I thought growing up college football was like this. If you were good, you were always going to be good. There's nothing that could happen to you in 1991 or 1992 that would ever make you bad. I assumed that Texas A&M, R.C. Slocum would always be the coach of Texas A&M <laughs> right. and it would always, always be good. Um, I don't know if I was just an idiot, like just a dumb little kid, or if things have actually changed in the sport, but just think, I mean, six years, really five years, Florida State has gone from, we are a team that not only believes we can, but really can play for the national championship every single year to one of the worst power five teams in the country. Five years. It's incredible. Since you mentioned Texas A&M, that's kind of fortunate because I was actually thinking about this game next. I do think A&M needs to be on a little bit of upset alert against Ole Miss this week. And only because, look, Ole Miss is what it is. The offense is tremendous. The defense is, is, is very, very bad. But I do think, like, this is the kind of game where Ole Miss can – get it going up and down a little bit, you know, and then maybe a, a fluke turnover happens here and there. Ole Miss sure is confident in what they're doing offensively, you know, and, and you saw against South Carolina, Lane Kiffin, you know, dialing up a play, he's throwing clipboards, he's doing the celebration thing. You don't want to play Ole Miss. They're not good in the classical sense, but you don't want to play them. No, definitely not. You do not want to play Ole Miss, especially if you're a defensive coordinator. Um, you just kind of feel like an upset is coming. Like they almost upset Alabama. They almost upset Auburn. Um, like this kind of win is coming for Ole Miss. Um, yeah, I'd be petrified of, of, of them if I'm Texas A&M. I really would. I mean, they, here's the thing what's scary about them, right? Like A&M could win by 17. Like they definitely could do that. But th- this game could easily be 41 41 49 49 at some point in the fourth quarter. And that scares me if I'm Texas A&M because A&M's got a path to nine and one. Um, you know, you don't want to get tripped up by Ole Miss and it's certainly, certainly possible. And, and first, and, and the other thing about it, like when they played Alabama and it was, you know, a bad snap away from really making that game entry interesting late in the fourth quarter watching at Ole Miss then. And now they're better now on offense not just as a team, they're better, quicker, more confident on offense now than they were in that game. And, and that's another thing that's scary to me if I'm in it. Well, and you're just playing somebody with nothing to lose, you know, and they're going to play that way and they're going to coach that way. Uh, they're, they're very, they're going to be very loose. And uh, that that's a pretty dangerous position to be in, especially when, that's not how a and going to play, and that's not how Jimbo's going to coach because he never coaches that way. No, no, so, no, no. Right. So that's the thing. Like, yeah. Lane Kiffin doesn't care. Doesn't care. Like he's just going to do his thing. And you know, it, he just doesn't care. And A&M has a lot, like you said, a lot more to play for. And you're talking me into picking Ole Miss to win this game. I'm not going <laughs> to do that, but it, you, you know, it could, it, 
There's going to be a lot of points. That's a fun one. What 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 is the actual kick on that one? That is a, a three thirty CBS. Three thirty. Oh, okay. Oh boy, three thirty CBS. Okay, I'll be. I'm, I'm excited for that. That's going to be. A, that's going to be a good. One. Well, that's about it for uh, next week in terms of the the big games that we're going to have our eye on. I mean, of course, we'll have our eye on like the games that offer some you know macabre outlook. Michigan Rutgers, Iowa Penn State. I mean, those are games that will draw your Tennessee, like, Tennessee at, uh, at Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, th- those are like the you can't take your eye off the car wreck games. But other than that. You know, I, w- I want to say I had a. I was thinking on on yesterday at some point in the afternoon. I was I was going to have this moment on the podcast day where I would be able to say Rutgers has as many wins as Tennessee. Yeah, and I'm really upset almost. that Illinois won. Almost. That's very. That makes me sad. Nearly happened. Didn't happen. Right. Rutgers will have as many wins as Tennessee by the time we record our next podcast. So you are picking Rutgers straight up. <laughs> I might pick Rutgers to beat Michigan. If Rutgers oh beats God. Michigan on Sunday, um, oh my God, it's a, a, a. I don't. I don't even know. I'm excited for that possibility. Deeply excited for that possibility of that happening. All right. Well, uh, hopefully that will be enough to tide you over for the next week as we get ready for. Another weekend in college football. Let's uh, all try to stay COVID-free this week. Let's try to get as many games in as possible. Thank you once again to Hugh Freeze for joining us on this week's podcast. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Walken. This has been the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast from USA Today Sports. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hello, I'm Dr. Jennifer Truong clinical researcher and nutrition investigator. Focus is like a mental muscle. The more you practice, the more you build it up. By building your mental focus, you will find that you're able to accomplish more and concentrate on the things in life that matter. There are several ways to build your focus. A few key approaches to start with include eliminate distractions, practice mindfulness, meditate, and exercise. Eliminating distractions is the hardest of all these. Did you know, once distracted, it takes an average of 25 minutes to return to your original task. Writing distracting thoughts down can really help you stay focused. Sometimes you need a little extra help to stay focused. Ginseng is an ancient herb that has long been used to support your mind and help you stay focused. And by Neutralite, slay the day, gummies and shots contain a blend of 75 milligrams of natural ginseng, 50 micrograms of B12, plus 2 milligrams of B6. Get in the zone when you demand it with N by Neutralite, slay the day, gummies and shots.